0: This is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to be opening my Bible to Genesis 25. If you'd like to join me there in Genesis chapter 25, I'd like to read from that chapter in just a moment. Just want to take a second to remind everyone about our website, leonvalleychurch.org, where there's a number of different resources and information about uh, the Church of Christ. If you are interested, you can go there on your computer and find um, articles and Uh, daily devotionals and different sermons that have been preached in the past an archive of those things. So feel free to to look at those things and you can find our meeting times and all sorts of information. Also, if you have a question uh, that you would like to submit about uh, Bible passage or topic or a lesson you would like to hear preached or anything, just uh, email us at Leon Church at gmail.com. Well, this morning we're going to begin in Genesis 25, and we're going to be thinking about the example of Esau. Uh, Lots of examples in the Scriptures, uh, good examples and bad examples. And Esau falls into the second category. He serves as a bad example or an example of, of, of what not to do. So in Genesis chapter 25, this story that we're going to read here is cited later in the New Testament by the Hebrew writer. We're going to look at that passage too, but we want to see it unfold here in history and Genesis chapter 25 to begin with. So it says in verse 27, When the boys grew up, that is Jacob and Esau, when those boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, "'Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished.' Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said first, "'Sell me your birthright.' And Esau said, "'Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me?' And Jacob said, first, swear to me.' So he swore to him, and sold his birthright to Jacob." Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Uh, that last part, there in verse twenty, uh, rather thirty-four, the last verse of the chapter, there, is the only commentary I think we have for the Old Testament in this, at least in this immediate context, on Esau's action, and it says that he despised. His birthright, and this very well turned out to be the most expensive bowl of soup and stew, or stew, I guess lentil stew that that Esau ever purchased. He gave up his entire inheritance for everything that he stood to gain from his father Isaac. You know, in the ancient world, the firstborn, which would have been Isaac, uh, received a double portion and a number of different privileges and rights as as the firstborn son. And that is what he is forfeiting now to the second-born, uh, Jacob. Even though they were twins, Esau was es- Esau was born first or came out first. So, uh, you know, I think there's it's fair to say that we've all made purchases we wish that we could take back. You know, we invested in something that we thought was going to be fantastic and make life easier, and then further down the road we discovered that it's just a paperweight really that would work better as. As a, as a paperweight, but maybe we've we've bought something and found out just a short time afterwards that we were way overcharged, and so we regret our purchase in that case. But whatever happens, you know, whatever the case, I think all of us at some point, we've committed to something or purchased something or invested in something that we desperately wished we could undo later, and that's what happened to Esau. He was no stranger to that kind of feeling. He was a man who stood to gain a great deal from his father Isaac and because he's impulsive here because he's hungry after no doubt hunting for many days and coming back in to the camp of his of his family his his fleshly need his his hunger gets gets in the way of his judgment or he at least he allows it to and he acts foolishly and imprudently and i think if we aren't careful we can easily make the same mistake that he did when we may awake one day to find that our promised inheritance will have passed us by forever. Look at how the Hebrew writer remembers Esau in Hebrews chapter twelve. Turn to Hebrews chapter twelve, verses fifteen through seventeen. It's I think it's kind of easy to sympathize with Esau there in Genesis twenty-five, and we think about you know he was hungry and he would probably say anything. You know, who knows how many days it had been since he had eaten. And but uh, that was a. We will see that the that the scripture remembers his decision to do that as foolish and even sinful. And so, in Hebrews chapter twelve, beginning in verse fifteen, the writer says, "This is how we can learn from Esau's mistake. And here's the greatest lesson we can learn, so that we don't have to share in his legacy." And beginning in verse 15 of Hebrews 12, it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, and that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. If you go back and you look at the Genesis account a couple of chapters later when you know there's a lot of things at play, and we know that Jacob deceives Isaac into blessing him because Isaac is not privy to the arrangement that Jacob and Esau have made. And of course, he never would have allowed it to, to happen. Isaac, Esau was his favorite son, and he wanted to bless him. And so Jacob receives the blessing by trickery, deceiving his father. And then Esau comes in, uh, not knowing that this has happened, and then discovers it. That Jacob has been blessed and received the inheritance and the promises that uh, he stood to inherit, and the the Genesis account says that he wept, that he wept bitterly, and that it was an exceeding bitter cry. I think is how one translation reads. So, tragically, you know when the the consequences of his his decision finally. Were brought to bear on him, and and he realized what what he had done, um, that was all he could do, the Hebrew writer essentially says in Hebrews chapter 12 where we just read, that he does, he still desired to inherit that blessing. He wanted the blessing, and even tells Isaac, do you not even have one blessing for me? And, and Isaac uh, essentially blesses him, but not the way that he does Jacob. He's given the best of everything to Jacob, um, and that's why the Hebrew writer says he was rejected. He was essentially rejected. Even though he sought for it with tears. And what a tragedy that many, many now follow in Esau's footsteps. You know, every new day of life is another opportunity for each of us to accept the grace of God, to allow the grace of God to instruct us. And every day there are millions who settle for less than this tremendous blessing and gift of God's grace, and the inheritance that they stand to gain by um, residing in God's grace and abiding in God's grace. And so they're too easily satisfied, like Esau. They just want that momentary pleasure. They want that momentary satisfaction. And they're swindled out of so much more, just like Esau was. And the devil is swindling people today out of a great and glorious inheritance. They prefer people prefer the fleeting pleasures of sin, rather than the eternal satisfaction and fulfillment offered by their Creator. And sadder still is that many, even among believers, among Christians, uh, you know, they they are again seduced by their flesh, and they abandon their inheritance to go back into the world. And again, the Scripture paints. Uh, a very ugly picture of of those who who make that choice. So how can we avoid making the same mistake knowing that sin so can so quickly entangle us as the the Hebrew writer says there in chapter 12 also but in verse 1. Um so let's think about that for a moment. Let's reflect on on Jesus's teaching regarding the kingdom, the worth of the soul and the just the terrible outcome that that will come if if we choose to make Esau's mistake. If if when the day of judgment comes, we have forfeited our inheritance like Esau. So I want to think about those things briefly this morning um, to finish out our time. So Paul, first of all, tells us that as Christians, uh, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That's in Colossians chapter one, verses thirteen. And 14. So we have this new identity in Christ. We are not uh, under sin anymore. We are no longer part of the enemy's kingdom. Colossians 1, verse 13. That He, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So we have been taken out of one kingdom and placed into another. And here Paul says, here is redemption, here is where we find forgiveness of sins, these great blessings and the hope that we have of salvation. And all the wealth in the world could never purchase that, could not be offered to, to buy that from the hand of God. The Lord will liken the kingdom to priceless treasures that demand all of our resources when they are discovered. That parable there in Matthew chapter 13 of the treasure in the field and then also the parable of great great price in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Very uh, short passages. It's actually verses 44 through 46, but two parables and they cover three verses here. And let me just read those to you uh, to make the point. Uh, verse 44 of Matthew 13. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so the kingdom of heaven, the the, the prize and, and and the relationship and the fellowship that we have in the kingdom and the Forgiveness and the things that we read about earlier, the spiritual blessings. Jesus is saying that we don't need to assign value to those things. They are valuable in and of themselves. And whether a person is actively seeking or they stumble upon the truth of the kingdom, they will recognize it as valuable, like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great value that people are willing to do whatever they have to in order to attain it. That's how valuable it is, that inheritance that anybody can have. And would we relinquish that for a single meal, one moment a satisfaction, earthly satisfaction, a passing pleasure? That's the point the Hebrew writer is making about Esau. That's what he was willing to do. He lost sight of everything that he stood to gain in his birthright and the blessing that would come from his father. And he gave it up for a bowl of soup. The Spirit says that this is how, and remember how the Spirit characterizes Esau in in this passage, that he was immoral and godless. Don't let there be an immoral, godless person among you, like Esau, is what the New American Standard says. So immoral and godless people behave this way, willing to give up that glorious inheritance for a passing pleasure. So to be part of God's kingdom is a privilege that few people recognize and enjoy in man's history. And that you know that shouldn't come as any surprise to us. Of course, we know those passages in Scripture well, that the, the gate is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that will find it. Uh, that those who will be saved are, will always be in the minority here on earth uh, and have been historically, God's people are always in the minority until the kingdom is fulfilled in heaven. And then and then everybody, everybody that will exist and have life and fellowship with God uh, will be, of course, from among His people. Only then will we be the, the majority. Uh, so the kingdom now is people give it up all the time, and they cast away... Um, they just turn their noses up at it. But to give to to give up the kingdom, if one is a Christian, to give up the kingdom and the inheritance that they stand to gain is to cast away the most precious treasure that that God has given us—salvation of our soul. The Scripture speaks to the worth of the soul as well. In Mark chapter eight. Verses thirty-six and thirty-seven, you know, Jesus asked a very powerful question in order to help us and his audience understand and to grasp the the value of our soul, of our eternal soul, that which will live on after our bodies return to the dust. Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-six, Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so the point is that that Jesus is making that is that the soul has value or life, our eternal life has value beyond anything this world can ever, ever offer. And even if he were to gain the whole world and everything in it, and all that the world has has to offer, it still would mean nothing if we forfeit our soul, our eternal life. There's no greater illustration, I think, of this point than the man who invested all of his time, all of his resources, pouring pouring all of those things into earthly, earthly treasures, earthly belongings. And he gave no attention to his soul. And that's another uh, story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I think, in illustrating this teaching about the value of the soul... Jesus says in Luke 12, beginning in verse 18, Luke 12 and verse 18, he said, in quoting the rich man here, he says, This is what I'll do. Since he was so wealthy, he says, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink. And be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so here we have a, a man who was very successful. By earthly standards, who was very wealthy, had a lot of food and a lot of goods. So much, in fact, that he had ran out of storage for all those things. And he had to build bigger storage. And he was ready to coast to the end of his life. Soul, take your ease, he says. But then he is confronted with the reality. That man does not live forever on this earth. And God essentially says, here's the truth and here's what you should have been focused on, is storing up treasure, not in your earthly barns, but storing up treasure in heaven. So we might be confronted with many economic woes. We still live in a very affluent country relative to the rest of the world. I think and the temptation for us is great because of those reasons. The temptation... For us, it's great to say, like this rich man, we have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And if we aren't careful, we fall right into the same trap. We we forsake our soul and our spiritual inheritance. We become spiritually bankrupt because we're so scope-locked on what this world has to offer. The momentary passing pleasures, earthly goods, material things, things that are perishing and destined to perish with this world itself instead of giving attention to our souls and storing up treasure in heaven you know the the truth is the bible that the bible is revealing to us is that we stand to gain untold wealth and prosperity and rest but not fully in this time we have those blessings to be sure as Christians, when we obey the gospel and we give our lives to Christ and we surrender to Him, we we do um, have every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And we do have wealth spiritually and prosperity spiritually and some rest and peace that surpasses all comprehension, but not fully in this time. We weren't meant to experience those blessings in the full to the fullest extent. While we are here, there will be tribulation, Jesus says in John 14. You will have trouble in this world, uh, but He has overcome the world, and we're to be looking forward to that time when our inheritance is realized in the fullest sense. And we have to hold fast to that promise so that when judgment does come, we may rejoice. When our time does come, we can rejoice and not dread it like this rich man who was called a fool. When God required his soul of him. We don't know when God will require our souls of us. It could be before this day's over, it could be before the year's over. We just don't know. And the other thing we don't know is when he's going to return and he's going to require everyone's soul on that day. And so the message for us then is to be ready and don't foolishly forsake an inheritance, an eternal inheritance for earthly things. Or else the disappointment that Esau had will be nothing compared to the disappointment and the guilt and the sense of failure that we have on that day. We will experience what he experienced firsthand, that awful clarity of the the consequences of his choices. When they finally set in on him, remember, he wept bitterly. He squandered something priceless. And he knew that it could never be recovered in his lifetime. I think that that feeling that Esau had will only be magnified in us if we come to the end of our life or we come to the judgment and we realize we have squandered something priceless. That we have given everything to this world all of our time and attention and resources to material things instead of storing up treasure in heaven we can't get that time back Peter will describe how God views those who return to the world and return to to sin so you know we're kind of in our discussion this morning we've mentioned i guess two categories of people that make this this same mistake even though the outcome is is ultimately the same they may get there differently you know maybe they never obey the gospel maybe they never even begin to store up treasure in heaven and they just turn their noses up at, at the the sacrifice of Christ and the grace of God and the inheritance that can be found in him and then there are those who maybe initially commit and they understand the value of the kingdom, and they want to be a part of it, and they want the inheritance. And so they go for a time um, faithfully, but then turn away. They also squander their inheritance. And the outcome for both of those people is is the same. And that will be punishment. Peter in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 describes people like this. And in verse twenty-two of that chapter, he says, um, or rather beginning in verse twenty-one, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteous, righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire." You know the the way that Peter characterizes those who have Christ and those who understand the truth and want to receive His grace. It says, if you back up earlier, actually in verse in verse 20, it says that they've escaped the defilements of the world by Jesus Christ, but then they are again entangled in them and are overcome. He actually says at the end of verse 20 that the last state has become worse for them than the first. And then he gives us the picture that I just read about the, the pig returning to the mire and... Uh, the dog returning to its own vomit. You know, the Holy Spirit paints a very ugly picture of those who squander their inheritance, like Esau did. You know, and I just—I don't think we can meditate on that cautionary tale uh, in, in enough. You know, thinking about what. That must have been like for Esau to suddenly realize that he had traded again his father's greatest gifts that he may have just been days away from receiving for a single bowl of soup. and I, I want to end on this the the Hebrew writers the Hebrew writer gives an idea you know in in the words that he found Esau found no place for repentance, and he sought for it with tears. So Esau was sorry. I think that's critical to understand. He regretted that decision later when he, when he found out what he had lost and when he realized, rather, what he had lost. It says that he found no place for repentance. I think sometimes we think of repentance as just just being sorry. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, I believe Paul describes godly sorrow as lead, leading to repentance and repentance leading to salvation. So there is a, a kind of sorrow, but there's also in that context he says sorrow of the world that leads to death. We know that Esau didn't genuinely repent. He didn't he 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 was he had the worldly sorrow that led to death. He wasn't sorrowful in a godly way. And we know that because he wanted to kill his brother afterwards. So he regretted it. He was sorry. He was sorry that he had lost it. And when he realized the full weight of his consequences, that the choice that he had made could not be reversed, he couldn't repent. He didn't find a place for it. No amount of sorrow, worldly sorrow, and weeping and wishing Would return that inheritance to him. It was simply too late. So, what are we going to do with this? We have been, if we're Christians, we have been promised an inheritance infinitely greater than anything Esau ever knew in his life salvation and an eternal home with God. Do we, do you think that on the day of judgment, there are going to be those willing to give anything to gain that inheritance? even though it was at their fingertips for their entire life, just as it is for you and me. I think there's going to be a lot of people like Esau on that day who are going to wail and beg and seek for repentance with tears, but they're not going to find a place for it. Here's the warning from Hebrews chapter 12 again. Brethren, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that's what happened to Esau and he's saying it can happen to us if we take our inheritance for granted if we never if we even never take the first step toward Christ and obey his gospel the tragedy of Esau will be our own only on an eternal scale an infinitely greater scale we can't allow that to happen Jesus says, your soul is too valuable. And he is the only means. He is the only one who can save us. So would we not? Why wouldn't we obey him? Why wouldn't we come to him and surrender to him so that we can stand in his grace? Paul says we are introduced into his grace by faith in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We have to believe who he says he is. John eight twenty four. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then we have to genuinely repent, do a 180 in our life and follow Him, confess Him, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And if we haven't been baptized in His name for the forgiveness of sins, we need to do that also, Acts 2.38. Let's not forsake our inheritance. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I look forward to studying with you again next week. I hope that this has been beneficial to you. It's It always is for me to open God's Word and to see His will. So I want you to join me next week, next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., same time, same place, right here on KTEM. Until then, God bless, and let's keep studying the Word. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.